We're in the book of 1 Corinthians today. 1 Corinthians, and we are in chapter 2, and we're going to be covering verses 6 through 16, I'll say over the next two weeks. So uh, I knew that there was more in this one thought here than that could be uh, contained in one sermon. I knew that, so I, I gave myself two weeks to go through this text with you. And so we're going to, hopefully, my plan this morning is actually to get through verse 13. I'm not sure that's going to happen, but that's our goal, and that's, that's where we're headed. That's where we're going to try to get, uh, is to through verse uh, 13 together. Um, but we'll just see how it goes together, okay? What I'd like to do as we begin is, is to start in verse 6, and I'd like to just read all the way through verse 16 uh, to get our bearings, and, and then we'll uh, just start unpacking this together, okay? So look with me in your Bible, 1 Corinthians 2, beginning in verse 6. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He's not able to understand them, because they, those things, are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. All right. Now, you probably see, just in reading that, why we might be taking a little bit longer to uh, maybe digest this together. Uh, there's a lot there, isn't there? And there's so much to even comprehend. And it's strange because our comprehension of the Word of God unto maturity is what the text is talking about. It's strange because what the text is talking about is the comprehension of the Word of God and yet what we're doing in this moment is trying to have comprehension of the Word of God. It's talking about maturity and what we want is maturity. It's talking about the mystery and the wisdom of God and what we want is the mystery and the wisdom of God. So what we're actually reading about and studying is about reading and studying and preaching as I preach. And so it's a little strange, isn't it? But we're actually talking about what we're doing while we're doing it. I hope you understood that. I barely understood what I just said. <laughs> I wonder this morning if, I, if, if you took one of my famous tests as you walk in the door, right? Today's test would have been rate your maturity, okay? And your maturity is on a scale from 0 to 10, 10 being most mature. How would you have rated yourself this morning? And let's just pretend that no one would see your answer and so you can be as honest as you want to be. In your heart, regardless of what you actually would score yourself, I want you to just think with me this morning, what would your answer to that really be? I'm not asking for you to say it out loud or anything, hold up a little scorecard or something. I don't know. I'm not asking you to do that. But what I am asking you to do this morning, for this to make an impact what I'm asking you to do is to rate your maturity. And I haven't even said spiritual maturity yet. What is your maturity as a human being? You ever go through life circumstances or say something or do something and you think to yourself, well, that was immature. About yourself now. I know you say it about other people. <laughs> I'm saying, have you said it about yourself? 
And you say, that was immature. I should not have reacted that way. I should not have done that. That was immature. Okay, let's relate this to our spiritual life, which is our life. Have you ever acted in such a way spiritually? You had a thought, you had an emotion, you, whatever you did, an action, and you think to yourself, that was very spiritually immature, that thing that I just did. And I wonder if we even think on those terms. Do you ever contemplate your spiritual maturity? Should we? And the answer to that, I hope you already see, just by reading this, should we contemplate our spiritual maturity? The answer to that is? Yes. I hope you see that with me. I hope that not only this morning, but as we've been, even from the beginning, chapter one, isn't it kind of what he's pressing the people toward is be spiritually mature. Now, I know that you're not spiritually mature because you have all these little quarrels and disagreements among you, and that's, it's crazy that that's the way it is. That's what he's going to say in chapter three. I couldn't address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, infants in Christ. And why did he have to do that? Because they had quarrels and selfish ambition, jealousy among them. So their outworkings, what they did and how they interacted with each other was proof of their spiritual maturity. So if you're saying, I don't know how to rate myself spiritually, like my my spiritual maturity. Okay, take your actions what you do, the things you think, how you behave, and measure them up against scripture. If what you do and how you think, how you behave is not how scripture says you should, then you are spiritually immature, okay? Now, if a, if, if a lot of things that you do seem to line up with scripture, but you're not perfect, then you are growing in maturity, right? You are pressing on to maturity. But now, if most of the things you read, you say, yeah, I don't do that. I don't think that. I don't behave that way. I behave the opposite way of that. It's because you're spiritually immature. So this is leading down a path, down a road. Okay, so let's say we've arrived and you say, I am spiritually mature. Um, Well, I actually think, and just go with me on this, I actually think there is a sense of healthy thinking that would lead us down a road to say, I believe I at least have some sort of maturity in me in Christ. Um, That is not in itself an indicator of pride because the scriptures tell us to examine ourselves. And if you examine yourself and you say, yes, I, I see evidence of maturity in me, okay? Not a bad thing. Now to say I am mature, I have arrived, and to boast in your maturity, I think we have an issue. Would you agree? Do you see a distinction between those two worlds, though? How we must be examining ourselves. We must be saying, am I mature? Am I not mature? But should we ever get to the point to where we say, I am so advanced, I have nothing else to learn. You can teach me nothing else. I am here. And every thought I think and every action I do, all my behaviors are exactly according to what Scripture says. Every day, every second of the day, I am mature. Maybe it might be helpful to understand the word mature because our Bibles, at least the ESV says mature. That word mature in Greek, in its original language, what that word means is uh, complete or perfect. So if you have a sense of completeness or a sense of perfection, uh, you are pressing on to completeness is really the idea. Does that make sense? You are pressing on to completeness, to be a a whole, what Paul would say, the whole man, right? To be all in. You are completely transformed. Is that you? You are complete in the sense that you have been wholly and completely transformed and all that remains is Christ and there is none of you left. Is that where you are today? So let's just go back to my question. How would you rate your spiritual maturity today? I want you to just really contemplate, as I've been contemplating this as well, what is our level of spiritual maturity? And let's say we arrive at an answer, and then we say, okay, let's press into Scripture and see what Paul has to say to us today and relate this to maturity. Now that our minds are thinking in those terms, let's look at the text, verse 6. He says, yet. Now, when a text begins with yet, 
it means that it came within a particular context, obviously. Well, we know that context because that's where we were last week. And what is his context? Well, in his context, um, he's said a lot of things. He has said, the world does not come to know God through wisdom. That's in chapter 1, verse 21. God has shamed the wise, chapter 1, verse 27. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, when I, I, when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come proclaiming the mystery or testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. So it would maybe seem like to Paul's audience that Paul is anti-wisdom. Would, would you agree with that? He doesn't, he's saying everything that you can say bad about wisdom, it's no good. And I didn't bring it with me. And he says, but yet, before you think too much down those lines, let me just say that we do impart wisdom. And you say, what? <coughs> you just said that you're completely against wisdom. That you didn't bring the message of Christ with wisdom. Um, but yet you're saying you do impart wisdom. And he says, yes, but you need to understand what I mean by that. You need to give new definition to the terms you're using. Because when I say wisdom, Paul, when Paul says wisdom, he's meaning something a little different than what you had meant by wisdom. So he begins to define his terms, okay? And we just have to go with him as he does this. All right, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. We're going to be just in that part just for a little while. In case you keep looking down, you wonder where I'm going. We're hanging out right here just for a second, okay? Yet among the mature, who are the mature? Who are those people? Who are they? To say that the mature are all Christians, I believe would be a, a mistake. Because if you look with me, just glance with your eyes at chapter 3, verse 1. I already read it, or at least alluded to it earlier. He says, when I, brother, I, I brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food. You weren't ready for it. So there is solid food to give. And who is that solid food given to? Not infants, to the mature. Do you follow me? So among the mature, we do impart wisdom. So there's a sense that those who were spiritually immature were not able to receive the wisdom Paul was giving. Okay? He says, among the mature. He's going to say something about this again over in chapter 14, same letter. In verse 20, brothers, do not be children in your thinking, but be infants in evil. But in your thinking, be mature. Do you need to, as I always say, put that on your refrigerator? You know what I mean by that, right? That's like one of those things that you constantly need to be reminded about. In your thinking, don't be a child, but instead be mature. If you want to be an infant, be an infant as regards evil. You don't know how to do it. You don't know what it's all about. You're a child. You're innocent to it. If you want to be an infant, be an infant in evil. But in your thinking, the way you think, what you think about, how you think, be mature. Do you put energy? It's a real question, and only you can answer it. Do you put energy into thinking as a mature believer? Or do you simply think? And you're not judging your thoughts against anything. What do you think about fill in the blank? And you just go ahead and tell them what you think about it. We're good at that, right? Everyone agrees we're good at that. Do you filter your thoughts, what you think about things, through Scripture? Because you should. So it, it almost should be less what do you think about that and let's discuss what God thinks about it. And let's align our thoughts to God's thoughts. It's so much less about what you think about it and how we understand God thinks about it. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? How often are you saying, let me take a step back here for a second and say, I need to be concerned less with what I think and feel about this thing, and I need to be more concerned what God thinks and feels about this thing. And where I am found to be wrong, I need to step back from that, pull out of it, and align myself with the way God thinks and feels about it. Because your thoughts and your feelings, wouldn't you know it, 
are not perfect. But God's thoughts and God's feelings about things are perfect. Perfect. So this is already leading us somewhere that I, I hope to get today, right? Really our main emphasis. So if I miss the main emphasis, we're in trouble, but that's what I'm, I, we got to move on. Okay. So he says, we do impart wisdom. All right. Uh, I, I, I probably just need to clarify that as well. Okay. I know we haven't gotten very far. It's kind of bad news, but it just, we're getting there. I need to keep going. Don't distract me. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not pro come proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Okay, we understand that to be true. So when Paul came to them, do you see that as the I? When I came to you, brothers, now he says, among the mature, we. Who's the we? Who, who's he talking about? Like the all-inclusive we? Like I say, we are hot in this little room. That's an all-inclusive we. But then I say, we intend to lead the church in Christ-exalting music today. Who's the we I'm talking about there? Um, uh, to lead the church, I am obviously referencing those who are leading the music. So what, who's the we we're talking about? We need to understand that, don't we? Because if you think the we is you, and the we is not you, and you apply the text as if the we were you, then we might have a problem. So who's the we talking about? Well, the we is talking about the same thing the we has been from the beginning, and the we are those people who come among them proclaiming the word of God to them. Because he's saying, you take me and Apollos and Peter, and you are elevating us to a status that we shouldn't have. But we do impart wisdom. Okay, that's the we. Those who came among them proclaiming the word of God to them that they are elevating in an incorrect manner. That's the we. So the we is not you, and the we is not me. The we is Paul, Apollos, Peter, and those who are proclaiming the gospel, the mystery of God to them. And when the mystery of God is proclaimed to them, what happens? Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. What does that word impart mean? Right? It, it literally, the word is speak. It actually is not about, well, see, when I hear the word impart, I'm imparting something to you. That is, it's, it's coming from me and it's going into you, right? But just because I speak something doesn't mean it has gone into you. Just evaluate how this sermon has gone so far. Not everything I have said has gone into you. I've not imparted it to you, have I? If we're honest, you know that there are things I have said that have not been imparted to you because you weren't even listening. And how, if you're not listening, can something even be imparted to you? But imparting something is more than just hearing it. Wouldn't you agree? So when we came and we were speaking the word of God to you in such a way that it was given to you and you received it, it was among who? The mature. It was among the mature that this happened because they're the ones who actually could hear it. Do you see that? They're the ones who could actually hear it. Isn't this so true? We were talking about this the other day. Who's the we? Uh, we were talking about this. It was actually me and Amanda. Uh, we were talking about this the other day and about how you watch a movie and you remember it as a child or whenever it was, different stage of life. And you think, that movie, I remember it being so boring, or like, whatever you might say. And you watch it as an adult, and you think, well, this is one of like, the best movies I've ever seen. Why is that? Did the movie change? No, but you did. And so the way you think about that same thing has changed. Why is that? Because certain things at certain phases of life don't communicate the same way. So when you hear a biblical truth of God in your infancy, it's going to communicate differently to you than when you're mature. Isn't that true? Don't you already actually know this from experience? And sometimes we're jarred awake because we realize we thought we were mature when really we are infants. And doesn't that also happen in our youth? I thought I was mature, right? I thought I was all grown up. I thought I knew all there was to know. I have the wisdom of the whole world and no one's going to stop me. And I'm 15 years old. 
right? So things impact us at different stages of life. Did they not? And do you know that this is also true in your spiritual life? As you grow in your spirituality, things are going, information of the word of God is going to impact you differently. You ever been in conversation with another believer and they're talking to you about some truth that has really impacted them and you're not getting it? You're thinking, I, I actually don't even know what you're talking about. Great for you and all. Um, but I just, honestly, I'm going to change the subject because I don't even know what we're talking about. Um, could it be? It, it, it could be a couple of things. One, they could be rambling about things they don't even know. That's a possibility. That happens too. The second thing could be that they're speaking of something they've experienced as a mature believer that you have no idea what they're even talking about. It's like talking about mature adult things with a child. All they want is for the conversation to move on and to talk about something they can understand. Is this communicating what I'm saying? Have you felt this in your own life? I wonder, is there a desire for you to press on to maturity in Christ? And do you even know what that looks like or how to pursue it? Among the mature, we do impart wisdom. What wisdom? What, is, what are they imparting, actually? Like, if we could say, when he says, we do and we, we come and we impart wisdom, we speak wisdom to you, what is that thing you're actually talking about? What are you doing in that moment? What is that thing? What is wisdom? What are we talking about? What is that wisdom you're imparting? As we go through the rest of the text, which hopefully is a little quicker than what we've done so far, he's going to explain that. Among the mature, we do impart wisdom. And I just wonder, just taking an honest, practical step back before we even start looking at it, are you ready? As we gather together as the body of Christ, all at different stages of our spiritual life, first of all, we, we acknowledge that, right? Just as we all have families, we are all individuals who are at different stages of life with different experiences, different knowledge. We are all the same way spiritually as well. Some of us infants. Some of us very mature. But you should know that just because you are mature and worldly standards or you have, or are older, you have gray hair, this means nothing in terms of your spiritual maturity. There is no definite link between your age and spiritual maturity. It's not true. So don't fool yourself in those regards either. So as we begin to look at what Paul is telling us about wisdom and maturity, let's just all try to have an open mind and an open heart to say, I admit that there, is, there are things for me to learn. I admit that I am not perfectly mature. I admit that I need the wisdom of God in my life. Can we all have that understanding as we begin to read the text together? I admit that I need God's wisdom in Jesus Christ. I need his wisdom. Not only do I need it, I want it. And I want to think the way God wants me to think. And I want to act the way God wants me to act. Aren't these super basic ideas? But sometimes aren't they very far from us? To say I want to behave in a godly way, we all agree. Okay, do you do it? Why is that? Let's look. Second half of verse 6, that's as far as we are so far. Although, it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. So what does he immediately do? He tells us what his wisdom is not. Right? So, I, I can't, we do impart wisdom to those who are mature, but let me first of all tell you about this wisdom, and I'll, I'm going to start by telling you what it is not that I'm talking about. Okay? What, it, what is it not? Well, it is not a wisdom of this age. Check. Okay, I understand that. And it is not a wisdom of the rulers of this age. I would say that Paul is beginning to define for us that there are two sources of wisdom. Two sources of wisdom. There is a wisdom that is earthly. And we might say, just to keep our parallelism the same, that there is a wisdom that is heavenly. There is an earthly wisdom. There is a heavenly wisdom. 
there is a wisdom that finds its origin in men, seemingly. We're going to talk more about that. But there is also a wisdom that finds its origin in God. The wisdom that you have, we have to sift through and say, is this a wisdom of God? Or is this a wisdom not from God? What is, this, what is the origin of this wisdom? Now, that involves thinking, doesn't it? How many in the room can admit that thinking is hard work? Yeah, okay. Some of you were honest. Some of you didn't think about the question. <laughs> thinking is hard work. And if you didn't even think about the question, right, you just proved the point. I don't want to think. <coughs> we are uh, pretty soon, uh, I, I hope to lay this case out. I better quit saying I hope to do it and just do it. But I, I, I so hope to get to the place I want to go because I just, I really believe, if you can just hear me for a second, I know that in this church and what I commonly practice is sometimes very nuanced and detailed, lots of information. I understand. So is the Bible. Right? The Bible, though, something miraculous about it, let me tell you, there is truth for someone at every stage of their maturity. Isn't that amazing about it? There are treasures to be uncovered no matter where you're at. And we are opening up those treasures and sometimes the treasures you see are not all the treasures that there are. Sometimes the treasures I see and communicate are not all the treasures that there are. True, right. There's too many here. There's too many treasures. So if I'm a little excited sometimes about giving you all the treasures, it's because I'm excited about giving you all the treasures. That's why. I want you to have them. I want you to experience them. I want you to live them. I want you to know them. I want you to measure your life against Christ and his word, not in a simple infancy sense, but in a mature sense, hoping that those who are in their infancy might press on to maturity, to those who have not yet been born, that they might hear the word of life. It is all found here. It's all here. Where is it? It's here. Now, when I point here, I'm talking about all the scriptures, but I am also talking about the New Testament scriptures. Were the New Testament scriptures in existence when Paul wrote the letter of 1 Corinthians? Just answer that question. It's not a trick question. Were the New Testament scriptures completed by the time Paul wrote 1 Corinthians? Well, obviously not. So there was a time in the history of the church when Christ had come and completed his work, and yet when the scriptures were not yet completed and compiled in such a neat little format that we can pick it up and read it. And so how did God communicate his word? Through the apostles and prophets. And as those things were written down, and what, the, what we call the apostolic deposit was laid, those things were collected and copied and circulated among the churches because they saw the rich treasure that there was. And as these things were collected and circulated, it became our New Testament. That's how it happened. But it didn't exist yet. So he says, when we came among you, giving you this mystery, we were pro proclaiming the mystery to you. Because how else are you going to know it? I'm going to press in more to that, but I shouldn't do it yet. Two sources of wisdom. Number one, heavenly wisdom. Number two, earthly wisdom. I'd like for you to look with me at just a couple of passages really quick because I want you to see that this is not only consistently a, a thought of Paul. I have no slides today. I see some of you looking for the references. They're just not going to appear, okay? Okay. Uh, I don't know whether to apologize or not. I, I don't, actually. I don't apologize. Um, I will give them to you later, the ones I actually get to. Okay? I just don't know where we're going yet. I, I mean, I, I know where we're going. I just don't know if, what we're going to get to yet. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. Just listen to what it says in context of what we've been talking about. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. Verses that you know well. I know that you do. 
you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Do you hear something spiritual in nature overcoming the thoughts and desires of those people who are captive to sin? Do you hear it? You once lived in that world and you were overcome by the spirit and you were following it. What spirit? The spirit of God? No, the spirit of the world, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. You were wrapped up in that mindset. That's all you knew. That was your wisdom. And it led you to sin and sin and sin. It led you to rebellion. It led you toward hatred of God. That thought doesn't work. That's not the wisdom of God. That's the wisdom of the world. But there's actually, behind the wisdom of the world, there is a spirit of wisdom that is not from this world. It's far more powerful and it has influence. Ephesians 6.12. So we're still in Ephesians. So that was Ephesians 2. Now we're just going to fast forward to Ephesians 6. And what does it say about this idea? For we, just, this has so many levels of application. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But we think we do. But that's not actually the battle. We battle the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's where the battle is fought. In the spiritual world, how often do you think that your enemies and your battles are in the things that you can touch and feel and see? You think your marriage is the problem? So you work on it, right? You think your parenting skills are the problem, so you work on parenting skills. You think your laziness is the problem, so you work on overcoming laziness. You try to get busy doing something. You think money is your enemy, so you try to get more. Or maybe you try to spend less. But you see, all we're doing is we're actually identifying things that are auxiliary. Those are the things you can see, touch, feel. Don't you realize that there is a greater spiritual battle behind these things that influences these things? You need to understand walking in these doors this morning and as you leave these doors, because we're actually in a very safe environment here, right? We're in a little bubble. The bubble that we're in this morning, we love this bubble because it brings peace, enjoyment, and encouragement to us. It also realigns us as we go back into the world where our bubble is busted. And all the wisdom of the world and all of its evils come upon us, but yet we are to remain as we should be, even in that environment. And that is hard. Can we agree that that's hard? I don't act as I should. I don't think as I should. And, and if I'm not careful, the company I keep and the people that influence me, I start to think like them. I act like them. I do the things they do to fix their lives. Oh, you got problems? What are you guys doing? Well, we do this. Oh, I might do that. And you overlook completely that the battle you're actually facing is spiritual. It's a spiritual battle. These are the things that we battle. Last one I want to look at here before we move on to verse 7 is James 3, 13 through 18. And just remember about James... James is basically the wisdom literature of the New Testament, right? We have Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. We have wisdom literature in our Old Testament, but we have wisdom literature in our New Testament as well, even though it's in kind of the form of a letter of a sense. But it's, it's the wisdom of the New Testament in terms of Christ and the new covenant. Where is wisdom? Well, James tells us. And he begins by saying in chapter 3, verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. I'm going to pause right there for a second. I know I read this a few weeks back. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works. You see how there must be spiritual wisdom for conduct to then follow. What we try to do is bypass the spiritual wisdom part and go to having conduct. That's what we do. We want to just change our behaviors rather than allowing our behaviors to be informed by the wisdom of God. 
that's not good. That's, that's going to be somewhat devastating to us. We are not seeking to act according to the wisdom of God. We're but, what, but you might say, but what I'm trying to do is good. Right? Like even the, the Bible says that I should, I should do these things. But you, you go after the thing itself rather than the wisdom that should come before that thing. You're not backing up to the right spot. So you're handling a thing God says to handle, but you're not handling it the way God says to handle it. That makes sense? We're trying to do it by bypassing God's wisdom. We shouldn't do that. But then James does the same thing as Paul in different words, and he talks about two sources of wisdom. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. But this is earthly, it is unspiritual, and it is demonic. For where jealous, jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be every disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is pure, it is peaceable, it is gentle, it is open to reason, it is full of mercy, good fruits, it is impartial, it is sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So if you think, this is me speaking now, if you think that you are conducting yourself in godly wisdom, but yet you are not pure and you are not peaceable, you are not gentle, you are not open to reason, you are not full of mercy, you are not full of good fruit, you are not impartial, you are not sincere, then you are wrong in your assessment. Those things are not godly wisdom. You think they're wisdom, but they are not wisdom. If you were behaving in such a way that is according to God's wisdom, you would be always pure, always peaceable, always gentle, always open to reason, always full of mercy, always bearing good fruit, always impartial, always sincere. Insincerity is not godly wisdom, right? Partiality is not godly wisdom. That is the wisdom from the earth. That is not the wisdom that comes down from above from God. So do you see with me the, the two sources of wisdom? I think it's the same thing Paul's talking about. There are two sources of wisdom. Which wisdom are you grabbing hold of and living your life according to? Do you measure all your thoughts and all your actions according to God's wisdom or do you measure them up against God's wisdom? Or even, even more dangerous, you don't measure them at all. That's dangerous, wouldn't you agree? I do things, I say things, I act in a certain way, and I never even think about what I'm doing. I just do what I feel. That is worldly wisdom. That has always been worldly wisdom. Just act according to what makes you most comfortable. It doesn't matter who you hurt. doesn't matter how you sound. doesn't matter if you're a peaceful person or not. It doesn't matter what scripture is said. Just act how you feel and feel better because it's all about you. Does that sound like godly wisdom? Absolutely not. It sounds the farthest from it, doesn't it? Which I believe is why James says, this is of demonic influence because what does the demonic spiritual world want most of all? To pull you away from devotion to Christ. To feed your thoughts with things that aren't true. And isn't that exactly what Satan did in the garden? Fill your thoughts with things that aren't true so it affects your behavior. And hopefully, if we can affect your behavior good enough, we can get God to detach his favor from you. Or if he can't do that, then maybe we can at least put you on a guilt trip that leads you away from producing godliness. But we have an opposite promise from scripture, don't we? Is that no matter the influence, what we know for sure is that nothing, including these spiritual forces of evil, can pull us away from the grip of God's hand. Are you thankful for that? But they can send you down a road of disobedience and discipline by the heavy hand of God, even though you are still his child in faith. Both of them are true. This is not even talking about those who are not even in Christ. 
If you are not in Christ, found tucked away in him, you are utterly consumed by the wisdom of the world and you don't even know it. So basically all that's being said here, unless God reveals it to you that this is true, you're going to continue to believe that what I'm saying is false. Because this is the wisdom of God and his word. And what Paul is telling us is the wisdom that comes from God comes from God, not from the world. So when those people come among them, proclaiming the word of God to them, proclaiming the truth, the mystery of God, it is from God. And if you are only from the earth, you're never going to get it unless the one who is from above comes and lives in you. That's amazing, that picture right there. The one who is from above, the spirit of God, and that's what's going to happen here in, in verse 14, which we are nowhere near yet. <laughs> what's going to happen is that he's going to begin to talk about the distinction between the natural person and the spiritual person. And what's the difference between those two people? It's not that there's no spiritual reality, because there is either evil spiritual reality or good spirituality from God, but it's the fact that there is no spirituality in terms of the spirit of God spirituality. So you're either natural, no spirit of God activity going on in your heart and your mind, or there is spiritual activity for the mature, for those who are pressing on to maturity in Christ. And the wisdom of God is beginning to overtake you. And as the wisdom of God overtakes you, it affects your behavior. Because as you are influenced by the wisdom of God and the word of God, you can't deny it. You must live according to the wisdom of God. And if you don't, it tears you apart on the inside. And what is that feeling called? Tearing yourself apart, knowing, knowing that what you just did was wrong. And it's called spiritual conviction. Because you know that what you just did was incorrect according to the word of God. So what do infants in Christ lack most of all? Spiritual conviction. So when the word of God is brought and we're saying these things should not be the case in your life, you say, I don't care. That's two things. Number one, you either are not in Christ by faith or two, you're an infant and that is not where God intends for you to remain. Verse seven. But we impart a secret hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Now, none of the rulers of this age understood this because if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it's written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And these things God has revealed to us. How? Through the spirit. For the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person who, uh, which is in him. So also no one, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And as they receive them, they impart them, how? In words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So just get this picture with me, and I'm, I'm going to invest a little bit more time basically uh, looking at some of these things in detail. I want to get to my main point um, from this text, because it is the central truth that the Lord has really tugged at my heart, in particular, with what we're talking about here. And I can't not shared that emphasis with you this morning, okay? That's ultimately what I need to say. Um, the big picture of what's happening here is that he is saying, when these preachers came preaching the word of God to you, they did so by the wisdom God gave them from the spirit. So when they spoke, it wasn't according to worldly wisdom. It was according to the wisdom given them by God. That makes sense, doesn't it? In all that we've said so far. But what they were doing, unfortunately, was saying, what wisdom you have. What speaking ability you have? And they were boasting in it, ultimately to boast in themselves. But he's saying, if you can understand this properly, the wisdom that we gave you is not a wisdom of this earth. It wasn't produced from us, had nothing to do with us. It had everything to do with God. God gave this wisdom when we were simply a channel of God giving you this wisdom. Has nothing to do with us, has everything to do with him. 
This is the point that he's making. And what did they do? Look at, uh, look at verse 13. And we impart this, we speak this, in words. Stop for a second. If you thought that what we were just saying all applied to you, here's what would not happen. Paul would say, um, we have the wisdom of God by means of supernatural spiritual revelation of God, just as all believers do. And so therefore, all we need to do is depend on the spirit to give us revelation of the word. What you don't need is this. Do you see how those would go together? If you were dependent, as Paul is talking here, on revelation from God to give you the wisdom of God, then you don't need the word of God. Did Paul have 1 Corinthians? Is there something different about Paul and you? Something different about Paul and me, right? I'm us, okay? There is something different. Did Paul have something that you don't have? A little bit of confusion. None of these are trick questions. You should acknowledge that Paul was an apostle. Are you? Nope. Paul was used by God to author scripture. Did he use you to do that? No. So can we make in our minds a very clear distinction between what God was doing through Paul and the we situation here and recognize that the we is not us. But what he did is impart this great truth in words. And guess what we have? The words. Do you see it? You see the connection? We have the words. Now, do we have every word Paul ever spoke? Do we have every word Jesus ever spoke? Could all the books in the world contain the words that Jesus spoke? No, because scripture tells us that. We don't have them all. Do we need them all? Maybe if some of these questions aren't answered, it might leave us lingering in our immaturity. You don't need all the words Paul ever spoke because all the, Paul, all the words Paul ever spoke were not inspired by the Spirit of God. Paul made mistakes too, you know. Paul said things he shouldn't have said, you know. But when he authored scripture, he never said anything he shouldn't have said. There is something distinctly different about the word of God than a person. You see, Paul was not the inspired man, but the texts are the inspired texts of God. You see a distinction between those two realities? Paul was not perfect. You might think of him as perfect, but you shouldn't because he wasn't. Jesus was perfect, and you should think of him that way. The words that we have are the words that we need. And why do we need words? How is the wisdom of God communicated to us? How is the mystery of God communicated to us? By stepping back from the word and waiting on revelation from the spirit? Or is it by a deep dive into the word of God? Because this is where they were recorded. Two references here, and I'll wrap up by making my final case and plea, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. I'm going to scratch that. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll get to that one next week. Allow me some freedom this morning, if you would. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. And I'll, I'll make my final case here. I hope that you have followed me this morning in the track that we've been on. We're talking about spiritual maturity. We're talking about the wisdom of God. And we're talking about how the wisdom of God has been communicated to us and the necessity of the wisdom of God in, in order for us to be mature. 
Do you need the wisdom of God in order to be mature? Yes. How do you get the wisdom of God? By waiting for the revelation of God, of course. Is that what you think? By simply living life. Is that how you're going to get wise in Christ? You already know the answer. But does your life show it? Right. You see why this is my point? I know, you're, I know it. You know where wisdom is to be found and you neglect it. So one more place. 2 Peter 3. Did I already say that? Verse 14. Did I say that much? Excellent. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Let's make a point right there as we continue on in this text. Is your life lived with diligent effort to be found in Christ without spot or blemish? Are you being diligent with your life? Everything you do, everything you say, every behavior, every waking moment, every breath, everything you look at, everything you touch, my goal is to be found without spot or blemish. Is that your goal in life? Are you diligently striving to that end? Because that's what the God's word says you should be doing. Is that true of you? Or have, have you maybe become distracted with the world that you live in? I know that distractions come. They come for me as well. We have to be brought back in. Do you agree? We have to know what to keep our eyes on, what to pursue. What do you diligently pursue in this life? Money, relationships, farming for some of you, right? Even micro farming, right? That's a thing. A lot of you do that. Is that the goal of life? But what takes priority? You know, you know that the things that are actually somewhat inconsequential take priority over your life according to the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God ought to come first and inform everything you're doing, but you neglect the wisdom of God and you just go ahead and do anyway. And what you do turns out to not be according to the wisdom of God. Well, how did that happen? How do I find myself in this mess? Why am I going after these sins? Why, are they, why is it such a mess? It's because you forgot a very critical step here, Right? I say to Jane and Lena when they're doing their homework and something bad, I say critical error, right? There is something in this process that you missed early on and it messed up everything afterwards. Critical error. What is your critical error? That I didn't inform all of my thoughts and behaviors by the wisdom of God because I've neglected the word of God in my life. It is not a priority to me. So are you being diligent? Next, verse 15. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. Pause right there. Yeah, we like that because that affirms all that we're talking about, doesn't it? Paul wrote, wrote according to the wisdom given to him. Peter acknowledges it. You remember Peter? Peter acknowledges it, and he says, Paul wrote the things that we have in our possession. Paul wrote according to the wisdom God gave him. And then in verse 16, it says, as he does in all his letters when he speaks of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. Stop. And so we don't read them. And so we neglect them. And so we continually over and over and over and over just do the read a Proverbs a day thing. That's it. That's all, it, that's all my life is. I uh, better get back into reading the Bible. Okay, so you go to like Genesis chapter 1. Right? All right. Getting back into reading the Bible. Genesis 1. All right. Adam and Eve. I know that story. That's a good one. All right. Flood stories coming up. Excellent. Moses, that whole situation. Yeah. See, these are good stories, good stories. And you make it a few chapters in, 
and then life takes over and you get back out of track and your life begins to reflect it. You're not acting according to the wisdom of God in your life. And then you reach the pits. And when you reach the pits, that's normally when you call me and I hear about that. And then you say, how can I get myself out of this mess? And I say, what priority is the word of God taking in your life? This is not one person. This is all of us, right? Don't think that you are so mature in Christ that this is never going to touch you. Actually, I know that you're already not thinking that because you all know your tendency to go away from the word of God and start to live life in your own wisdom and then you get yourself into a mess and then you, you're like, okay, I need people to help me get, get me out of this mess, right? I want to deal with the issue. I don't want to go back and like get my life in check according to the word of God. I just want out of my mess. Critical error. Step back. Look at the word of God according to his wisdom, even though there are things in it that are difficult to understand. Thank God he has given gifts to his church as teachers. Thank God he has given us spiritual shepherds that might help direct our path into what is wise and proper behavior. Do you take advantage of those things? I, that, I can't force that, can I? But over and over, what I seem to find, over and over, not one situation, not over this past year, not over these past years, but my experiences with the church is that we tend to want to just do it on our own, right? Is that the way God intended for you to do it, on your own? Just do it on your own, and actually don't even read the Bible while you're at it. Do it on your own, don't read the Bible, but at least make sure you go to church every once in a while and drop some money in the offering, Right? Because that's all God requires of you. This is incorrect thinking. And yes, it's going to lead you down a disastrous road. So although there are some things in the scriptures that are difficult to understand, should it push us away or should it pull us deep in? It should pull us deep in. And you say, well, I'm not a thinker. I'm not a reader. I'm not a, it's not my thing. If you're a Christian, it is your thing. I ju you just need to know that. If you are a believer, it is your thing. You're not doing it alone anyway. You're a new person, aren't you? You have a new mind. He's going to tell us, you have the mind of Christ. And you can't read his word? That's what you're telling me? Wrong. There are some things in them that the... Uh, ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Now, the ignorant, that just means those who have no knowledge and those who are unstable. They don't have their life together. They twist the scriptures to their own destruction. I think maybe without even much explanation, you already know what this means, right? That's pretty plain, isn't it? Have you ever been that person? I know you're thinking like outside of yourself right now, right? That's the others, you know, I, I don't do that. I've never been unstable or ignorant. Uh, I have always approached the word of God purely and I have understood it perfectly and I have never tried to get the word of God to say what I already think. That's exactly the problem. You already know what you think about something. You already know what you feel about something. So you approach the scriptures and wouldn't you know it? You found it. That's, that's danger, isn't it? That's dangerous. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, being warned, be warned. You know this beforehand. Take the warning. Everyone in the room, take the warning. Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and you lose your own stability. How do you do that? How are we diligent? How do we take care to not lose our own stability and crash and burn along the way? Well, we've already said it on repeat. Peter just said it. Engulf your world in the wisdom of God. 
Verse 18, we'll finish on that verse. But grow, grow. Oh, that, that takes us back to infancy and maturity, doesn't it? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity, amen. Grow, be diligent, take care. Do you hear all these words? Now, rewind and reset. When you walked in the doors this morning, would you have marked yourself mature or immature? What are you going to do about it? What is your plan of action? And for those of you who say, well, I am mature, the scriptures are saying to us that you better take care. You better continue to be diligent, that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Do you hear it? So if you ever have become comfortable and you think I've arrived, I know everything the Bible says. Or I get the idea. You are not taking care and you are not being diligent and you may be carried away with the air of lawless people. And if it wasn't possible, the scriptures wouldn't say that it is possible. You ever found yourself in that scenario? You were not equipped with the situation that was presented to you. And so you acted on what all you knew, but you didn't know enough. And so you acted inappropriately. And now what am I going to do? The only thing we can do when we make mistakes is go to our gracious, loving, heavenly Father who has redeemed us by grace of nothing you have done. You see, it wasn't your goodness that got you saved. It's not your goodness that keeps you in his grace. So when you make mistakes and when your life hasn't measured up and when you don't have the wisdom of God working in your life, don't be defeated about it, please. And I'm saying that from my heart because I've been defeated in the past about it. And I'm pleading with you to not be defeated. For those of you who maybe are walking on a treadmill, you feel like you're going, but you're not, you're not going anywhere. I get that idea. You feel like you're not going anywhere um, because all you're doing is going through the motions of things and you're not being diligent. You're not taking care. You're not pressing in. You're not seeking to grow in maturity. You're just waiting until you die, I guess. This is also an error. We all have somewhere to go. Okay? Last verse of the day. I know. You know when I say the last verse, it's like, I don't know. It might be. It might not be. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. And I want to somewhat, I was going to say I'll let it speak for itself, but I probably won't. But Hebrews 2, verse 1. Listen to what it says. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Do you, do you see it? Did you all hear it with me? Are you paying careful attention to what you've heard? Are you investing your life into the word of God? And if not, what are you going to do about it? If you need help, with this, you may be initially thinking, well, I don't know what to do, but I guess I'm going to go do something. And it probably involves some kind of book or something, you know, and it does involve a book, but it involves this book. Okay. So this is not a call for you to go buy a daily devotional. Okay. You're like, yeah, I do need to get my life in check. I'm going to go get a 31 days to a prosperous life devotional or something. And that's not, that's not what we're talking about. What we are talking about is acknowledging in our own minds and in our own hearts that this is the word of God and it is what is necessary for life and godliness. I know that because scripture told me that. What do you need? You need the word of God in your life and you need it controlling all of who you are. Is it currently, is the word of God currently controlling you? Is it the measure? Is it the mark? N even if it is, it's not perfectly, right? So what do you do, practically speaking? Well, I, I have, uh, they're not going to be opposed to this. I've yet to inform the other elders about this, but uh, I'm going to go ahead anyway because I think they're going to be, well, Sam's not even here, so <laughs> I don't know. He's probably with his baby, right? Yeah. Okay. There he is. Hey, what's up? Um, 
Anyway, I'm just, I'm saying what we're going to do as a church, and I, I, I just want to inform you about this. I'm going to close right here, okay, probably, that what we're going to do as a church in light of all this, okay, I'm trying to speak to you from my heart and from the word at the same time this morning. So I hope you're hearing me. What do I want from you? What if this was the last message I ever got to preach because I don't know what my life holds and I don't know what your life holds. But if this is the last message I get to give to you, I want to direct you to the word. I want you to know this is where the treasures of wisdom are found. They direct you toward the mystery of God in Jesus Christ. If you want help, if you want something, go to the word. Please go to the word. I'm asking you to. But what we're going to do as a church, I want to take on an initiative of reading through the New Testament in 90 days together. Okay? Reading through the New Testament in 90 days together. Some of you might think, 90 days, why so long, my friend? How about 90 minutes? You know, I don't, I don't know what you're thinking, but <laughs> let's just be balanced in our approach here because some of you heard that and thought, 90 days? Whew, I don't know. Okay? So, 90 days should be a challenge for all of us. And I have come up with a reading plan for us. And I want us to make this initiative as a church. And we're going to start right now, but I'm just preparing you for what is to come. So if you, in your life, in your family, in whatever your trajectory is, I know for certain that you need the wisdom of God in your life. And I know for certain that it is found in the word of God. And I know for certain that if you don't read the word of God, you're not going to find it. So we're going to read the New Testament together. And then we're going to read the Old Testament together, but that's to come later. But we're going to start by reading the New Testament in 90 days. Are you excited about that with me? Do you feel a challenge? You're like, I don't know, right? I'm going, to encourage, uh, I'm, I'm going to encourage Jane to do it as well. I know she can keep up. So if you have younger ones that are able to read, I want to encourage you to do that with them too, okay? But anyway, all right. Y'all feel my heart for you this morning. Do you also feel my heart for the word of God? Do you know that I, all this has been preaching to myself as well? I hope you have heard that as well. We all need more of the word of God, never less. Don't shrink back from it, press into it. This is the wisdom you need for your life, okay? This is what I want for you because this is what God wants for you. All right, let's pray together. We are gonna sing one more song, uh, but let's pray together, okay? Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the treasure that it is. And I pray that you would continue to give us more and more and more and more a desire for all of you for your wisdom. Because not only does your wisdom bring us into salvation, but it is your wisdom that progresses us unto maturity in Christ. And this is what you want for us. As we read your word, we can't escape the reality that you don't just want converts who stay infants. What you want is for those to be diligent, to be found without spot or blemish. And how do we do that? According to the wisdom you have given us as you used men, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit to give our New Testament and our Old Testament that we might see a picture of who you are, that we might understand ourselves in light of it. I pray that you would lead us, guide us into all wisdom and understanding that we might be changed. Why? Because this is what you have called us to and because we want to give you glory with all of our lives. This is what we desire. So give us help as we pursue this together. In Jesus' name, amen.